the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Liar Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson, we're in that stage of life where hope springs eternal. Baseball's about to start. Yachty threw out a guy uh, that he dared to steal on him yesterday in spring training. The sun is out. The grass is starting to turn green. Life is good. Yachty's still got it, baby. Still got it. He's over the other side of the rainbow when it comes to uh, his career. But he is. He's still got it, man. Still got it. All right, let's rock and roll, man. You want to introduce our guest? Yeah, so our guest today is Andrew Lacey. He's the owner and founder of the Lacey Employment Law Firm. Before that, he worked for a AmLaw 100 law firm called Reed Smith. He also had a federal clerkship with a judge in the Western District of Pennsylvania. He's an alum of Cornell Law School, and we are very excited to have him on the show. Andrew, thanks for being with us. Uh, thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. So, Andrew, tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I went up to upstate New York to go to law school at Cornell. And when I got there, uh, it was kind of a culture shock uh, because I grew up my whole entire life playing sports and football. And then I get there and there's all these people with Mercedes Benzes and rich parents uh, talking about going to these prestigious firms in New York. So I kind of went up there thinking I'd be more of a DA, PD type of thing, a trial lawyer. And then everyone was doing this. Everyone was going in the big law. So I decided to go back to my hometown of Pittsburgh and give that a shot. So I worked at Reed Smith for a couple of years. Then I did a clerkship with a Reed Smith alumnus, I'm sorry, in the Western District. And then my wife decided that we should move to Philadelphia because Pittsburgh was you know, too small and she wanted a bigger city and to be closer to New York. So I worked at Reed Smith for two and a half more years. Um, the whole time I'm there, I just thought, you know, this isn't for me. I started looking around. I had some pretty good, you know, exit options in-house or the U.S. Attorney's Office. I got interviews for both. I found things I didn't like about both. And then there was also the government. I found things I didn't like about that either. Uh, so then I got this idea. Uh, why don't I just go out on my own? And then I found your podcast and I'm, you know, I figured that there were other people doing this. So I planned for about a year and a half, you know, saved a bunch of money uh, to, to launch a firm. And that's what I did about four weeks ago, five weeks ago now. 
That's awesome. So what is it that you didn't like about big law or about federal government work that made you think that going out on your own was more for you? Yeah. So, I mean, in big law, um, the whole model is basically fill your time, uh, CYA, and, you know, just basically bide your time until someone else passes a book of business down to you. Um, you might get lucky and go out and, you know, have a country club friend who is a big Fortune 500, you know, general counsel. But for the most part, you're just going up the food chain, servicing other people until you finally get to that point 15 years later where you have equity and now you're only servicing your clients instead of the people up the chain. It seemed like that was, you know, I didn't like it because it, my future wasn't in my own hands, I felt like. I felt like, um, you know, I was always going to be dependent on someone else to feed me, to give me work. And if that person decided that they no longer liked me for whatever reason, then my career's over. So that's the reason why I didn't really want to stick with Big Law. And then the, the work's not that fun. It's kind of boring. And, you know, it's long and stressful and it's hard. Uh, with government, you know, I thought about being a AUSA. That would have fit, you know, my DA aspirations and, you know, what I wanted to do before. But then you would have to put people in jail, one. I didn't really think about that until I applied for it. And then two, you know, it's, it's this government bureaucracy where you have to work a set schedule. Um, you know, it's hard to move up. Everyone's kind of flat. And then there's one person at the top who's a director. And you could spend many years doing this. Um, so I didn't like that either. And then I saw everyone in Maximum Lawyer building their own firms. Um, it seemed like the potential is endless. You know, you could stay as a solo. Um, some people scaled to 80 people in their firm with, you know, hundreds of employees. And, I, you know, thought that you could make your own destiny. And I thought that was pretty cool. I think that's a really good example of where the employee's vision doesn't match the vision of the organization. <laughs> you go in there and you think you've got all these grand ideas about like, you know, justice and everything. And then whenever you get into the, into the machine, you're like, Oh my gosh, this isn't what you want. <laughs> so, which leads to my first question. Um, it's a good segue. Like, what is the vision you have for your firm? Yeah. I, I spent a lot of time in big law um, spinning my wheels and the, the way you learn in big law is that, you go in, someone gives you an assignment, they give you no direction, and you figure it out because you're a smart person. And you do that enough times uh, that you learn how to practice law. And it takes a long time. My vision is to do the opposite, where I create systems that teach associates how to practice law, you know, the right way. But I don't really believe that criticism and not being told things is the best way to learn. I think a lot of people can do better with positive feedback. Um, and being told things directly. And I also, you know, want to scale. I, I don't really want to stay small. So that's, you know, part of my vision to have employees and be successful like a lot of people in the group have been. And then in 10 years from now, ideally, all I'll be doing is taking depositions, going to trial and managing the firm. That's my ultimate end goal. Andrew, talk to us about how this seed of an idea of going out on your own really grew. How did you have that conversation with your spouse? And then tell us about the day you decided to quit and then the day after you told them that you quit. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the seed grew probably about a year and a half ago. And, 
you know, it was always a conversation where my wife said, uh, she's also a lawyer. So she said, okay, like keep looking into this, but convince me. So every day I would come back and, you know, I'd be like, whoa, I learned SEO today. Are you convinced? No. Like how, how are you going to get referrals? Well, I started networking with these people. Are you convinced? No. Where's your business plan? So every day it was me bouncing things off of her and having to convince her. And so eventually she's like, okay, I think you might be ready. I'm still not 100% sure, but I think you might be ready. So the day I quit, yeah, it was like any other day almost. I called up the partner I was working with. You know, normally when you're talking to a partner in big law, they say hi, you say hello, and then they just start talking and telling you whatever you need to do. Um, So this time I cut her off. I said, I, you know, I have to tell you something. And I told her I was leaving and she sounded absolutely shocked. You know, said some nice things. I was a very good associate and she enjoyed working with me. And that was, that was it. And then I sent emails to about 10 to 20 people, called about 10 people and gave them my two weeks notice. And then two weeks later, uh, you know, I sent a firm wide email and I got a lot of positive responses from about 80 to 100 people. I mean, here's the secret, like in big lot, everyone wants to do what I just did. Just no one wants to take the risk. There are very few people, like unless you're at the top of the food chain, you wish you had your own business and your own book of business. So everyone's very supportive. A lot of people said they would send me work. Some people started to try to follow through on that actually. Uh, So it's nice that I get to have some type of, you know, corporate work to do the build the work. So the next day, you know, I'm on my own and Luckily, I already had cases, um, you know, because I had a, I made a couple of contacts um, actually through the group with uh, a person in the group. She basically hooked me up with a bunch of workers comp lawyers uh, in Philadelphia and I had cases going already. So it was like any other day, just back to work. So, Andrew, I guarantee you that there are some big law people listening to this right now. <laughs> and I want you to talk directly to them. And I want you to give them some advice on, you know, leaving. If, they, if they're thinking about leaving big law, I want you to give them some advice on what they should do and how they should do it. Yeah, absolutely. So number one, um, if you're in big law, you probably have significant debt because the law school you went to likely cost a lot of money. Pay that down first. Pay it down aggressively. You know, get out of that hole. Second, after you do that, you know, be smart, save your money um, because it's going to cost money to start a firm. If you're taking clients with you, you're doing billable work, you need less of a, a runway. If you're switching to contingency for the first time, uh, you're going to need less. I mean, you're going to need a lot more of a runway as far as savings goes. Um, so they do those two things first um, and then start reading about marketing, selling, networking, because you likely don't have those skills at all. You probably learned how to practice law, but you've learned nothing about how to market yourself and sell yourself. Then you also need to start, you know, reading business books. You probably know nothing about that as well. And then lastly, after you've done all those things, I would just say, do it if you want to. It's been a lot easier than I thought it would be. And then told, people told me it would be. So I think there are some things in big law that prepare you to do this. And you should consider it if you want to get out of that you know, rat race and you don't want to just go in-house and work nine to five for the rest of your life for an in-house company. 
Andrew, like you, I'm also married to a lawyer and she's a nine fact finder. So when I wanted to go out on my own, I had to go through that same year and a half, <laughs> year and a half gauntlet of, of trying to convince her that I was ready. She wanted me to have a business plan. I wonder what percentage of all that work you did during that year and a half where you were getting ready and trying to, to appease her actually came in handy and how much of it was stuff that you probably didn't really need to know. And then you learned how things really worked after you started. Well, Jim, I, I mean, I am only a few weeks out, so I'm not presumptuous enough to think that like, I know enough to know that yet, the latter part of your question. But so far, it's all been extremely relevant and helpful because there's so much to learn and so much that, you know, is out there as far as knowledge goes that, you know, really it's, if you just keep learning for a year and a half, you still won't learn like half of what you could possibly know. And then you start learning new things, like new groups, new people, um, new networks to get in, involved in. So really, in the end, I mean, the, the learning process never stops, and it's all been helpful so far. I've got a, an interesting question. Let's say that you, I want you to visualize the firm that you want to build out, let's say five, 10 years in the, into the future. What do you want that to look like? What, what people do you need to have in place? What resources do you think you need to have in place? Absolutely. Um, so the firm would have at least three to five lawyers, but they would probably be the least important part. You know, have an intake team that specializes in that, that's very good at that job. It would have, you know, paralegals who are very good at supporting all the lawyers, but they're more of a permanent fixture because lawyers can come and go, um, you know, depending on their career aspirations. And I would encourage them to come and go. And I would encourage them to, you know, go get business and, you know, try to be a rainmaker themselves. And if they want to try to start their own thing. And then, you know, there would be me kind of at the top of my wife. Um, my ultimate goal is to bring my wife to my firm. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it too loudly, but, you know, she's doing really well right now at her, at her big firm. So I might not be able to convince her. She may, you know, stick on that path and really enjoy it. And then I really want to be heavily leveraged on SEO, internet marketing, that type of thing. I really enjoy that. And I enjoy the possibilities that come with that type of way of getting business because I always still feel like I'm always skeptical and maybe wrongly so of someone who I have a relationship with just because I've seen that change in big law. Like one minute someone's sending you work and the next minute their cousin comes on board and they decide that that person's who they want to send work to. So yeah, I still want to go out and get referrals and that type of stuff. But you know, I always want to diversify and I would love to have a big market share with SEO in the market. Running your own practice can be scary. Whether you're worried about where the next case will come from, feeling like you're losing control over your growing firm or frustrated from being out of touch with everyone working under your license, the stress can be overwhelming. We will show you how to turn that fear into a driving force of clarity, focus, stability, and confidence that eliminates the roller coaster of guilt-ridden second-guessing and mistake-making to get you off that hamster wheel for good. Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time is a step-by-step -step playbook that shows you how to identify what your firm needs and how to proactively get it at every stage of the game so you are prepped and excited for the inevitable growth that will follow. Name the lifestyle that you want and we'll show you how to become a Maximum Lawyer in Minimum Time. Find out more by going to MaximumLawyer.com forward slash course. 
You're listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast with Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Our guest today is Andrew Lacey. He's an employment lawyer, started his own firm about four or five weeks ago in the city of brotherly love. Andrew, you said something interesting there that I really wanted to pick up on, and that is that you said you wanted your paralegals to be fixtures in your firm because lawyers come and go. Talk. I, I think that's a great insight, especially for someone who's just gone out on their own and someone who's seen how attorneys work in big law and how paralegals work in big law. I'm wondering, where did you get that concept and, and why do you think that's so important? You know, I actually was in the Facebook group when I first heard it and then I thought about it. And even in big law, right, the paralegals were there, are there, have been there for 25, you know, 30 years. They make their career there and there's some really good ones. And a lot of the things we do, taking the ego out of it, right, if you don't need a law degree for most of it, um, and if someone is willing to you know, roll up their sleeves and really learn, especially over a long period of time, I think that they can learn enough to make my job very easy to where I'm you know, going to trial, taking depositions, um, and maybe getting involved in dispositive motions. But there's a lot of things you know, in between that that they could do. And if they're doing that well, um, you know, they're going to want to stay if I'm able to make them happy. Uh, they're not going to look for another job uh, if I'm paying them pretty well at a fair market rate. Another attorney, I would hope I'm hiring an attorney that wants to do something bigger and better than me. You know, that's the person I want working for me. And I know that will only be aligned for so long, but then I want to go out and find the next person because they see that people came to my firm and were successful after. So I think that there is a good thing about encouraging your staff and your attorneys to, to be the best they can be. Like Jim, like you, like I was struck by that too. I guess where did where do you think that comes from when it comes to because like to me, like my biggest fear whenever I had my first associate was like that person was gonna leave, right? And like I knew whenever I joined my first firm, I like I was gonna go at some point. Like it was just gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> and and there is a lot of I mean, you you do, I mean, you lose a there's a big cost to losing people. So I guess where do you think that mindset comes from with you? being okay with people basically coming and going? I, I think it's just, you know, I think that people should do what makes them happy. And, you know, I, I never felt beholden to a single employer. Maybe it's, you know, my generation, maybe I just accept that that's the cost of doing business. But I kind of think that if I'm getting someone who wants to stay for their whole entire career, for the most part, they're not very ambitious. They don't want to try something else. They don't want to take a risk. And I think that, they're not going to be as good of a lawyer as someone who is always thinking about what's next, thinking about something bigger, better, wants to try cases, wants to challenge, wants to risk. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, you know, I'm just hiring people that want to leave and screw me and take all my clients. And, you know, I understand that thought too. Jim, can I jump in real quick? Cause I want to, I want to ask you your thoughts. Cause you, I know that you're big into Colby and I wonder if, I just wonder if that is the right mindset and maybe there's not a right answer here, but what, like, just what are your thoughts on, the, you know, hiring lawyers and being okay with them coming and going. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on it. Well, I'm struck by the fact that our, our mutual hero, John Simon would always say to me that whenever someone came to him and said they were leaving, he would say, Andrew, God bless you. I wish <laughs> you all the best of, the, of luck. And um, thank you for your years of service to our firm. And I think, I mean, especially now in 2021, when things are so fluid and people are so, it's so easy for people to move around. I think we just have to be grateful for the time that we spend together 
And like Andrew said, I, I don't know that I would want to actively build people up to leave, but I'd certainly view it as a badge of honor if other people go out. But the thing is, you know, I've told this story before about my father. My father has an architectural and engineering firm that he built from three people. He built it up to about 150 people when he retired. And he opened up offices in Philadelphia and Dallas and Chicago. And I said to him one day, dad, aren't you worried that one of those offices is just going to break off and start their own thing? And he said, God damn it, Jimmy, they're not built like us. They're not built <laughs> like, and, and especially with Colby, most lawyers are risk averse. Most attorneys are high fact finders. They don't want to go out on their own. The reason we have this tribe in maximum lawyer is because we're the one-offs. We're the, the oddball lawyer law firm owners who also want to own a business and, and to think entrepreneurially like Andrew and Tyson and I have, that's the thing we're unusual for our practice niche. Yeah. I, th I think you're right about that. Andrew, I guess, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I will hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I tried to go door to door convincing someone to partner with me at first. I had copies of people in big law. I gave them my business plan. I said, this is exactly how we're going to do it. Everyone turned me down and looked at me like I was crazy. And a lot of what I said to them has come true already. And it's actually been better than I expected. And, you know, there's a small possibility that I'll be better than I did in big law. Um, and a few people who have done that worked in big law and went, you know, went and started their own thing, have done better. And definitely in a work-life, you know, balance perspective. So, yeah, again, I'll, I go back to it. Like, if someone wants to go out and do this thing, best of luck. It's hard. Um, it's a risk. I don't think there's too many people who want to do it. And that's just kind of a cost of doing business. And I also think I'll add this too. If someone, if I build someone up and I gave them every tool to succeed, I go out and I teach them how to get business. I give them their own book. They're making more money with me than anyone else. And then they leave to start their own thing after that. I think that person will be eternally grateful for the rest of their life and still refer me stuff and go out of their way when they meet people to tell them how great I am because I built them up. I built them for success. And I think people generally reciprocate. I think the last few years have also demonstrated this myth of stability. People think if I work at big law, they'll never cut me loose. Oh, well, COVID happened. <laughs> oh, COVID happened. Did you see what happened to all those firms? Or, you know, there's a recession. Oh, you yeah. Know. Yeah. So I think that we have the greatest stability that we, you know, my wife was at SLU and they had to cut $5 million worth of salary. So we took a buyout and she came to work with me. So that's that myth of stability. So Andrew, talk to us a little bit. We got to start wrapping up here pretty soon, yeah. but talk to us about, you know, what have you done in the last four weeks? What have you started to build out? What did you focus on first and sort of what's, what's next in the next say three months? Yeah. The first thing I focused on was SEO. Um, that's been a year in the making. I started writing content a year ago. Uh, if you look at my website, I probably have like 60,000 words of content and things are already starting to rank in you know my markets, which are Pittsburgh and Philly. So that was number one. Number two, I made a couple of contacts with some workers' comp attorneys who have been very kind uh, and have sent me cases. So that's number two. And one's a member of Maximum Lawyer, and she's been fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I am eternally grateful for her for getting me started with a few um, cases. Then there's been social media. Um, what I've been doing and has worked really well is I'll just pop in and out of places and drop free legal information um, about employment law. Sometimes on my feed, sometimes a Facebook group. 
whatever. And then a lot of times people will just DM me and say, Hey, I was fired. You know, can you take a look at my case? So I've gotten probably two reviews uh, on Google from that and probably one and a half cases that still have an engagement letter outstanding. Um, so, I mean, you combine all that together, I probably have like 15 to 20 ish cases already in four to five weeks. Um, you know, I think a, a typical caseload for an employment attorney is 60. Some of those are probably, you know, some cases I shouldn't have taken uh, because, you know, I thought maybe I'll be slow. I'll just take this case. And, but anyway, you know, I'm, I'm plenty busy uh, and, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm actually a lot more selective in my cases uh, already, which is nice. Um, and that's pretty much been it in a nutshell. So other than that, you know, doing the legal work um, that you have to do well for your clients. So I, I do want to get into a little bit, because I know we were, I think we waited a little bit to get into some of the details here, but I want to get into a little bit of, of your tech stack and talk a little bit about what you use right now. So will you talk about that a little bit as to what you're using now when it comes to um, handling your files? Yeah, right now um, I am just using G Drive integrated with Todoist, integrated with Copper CRM, and then you know I have Zapier do some stuff. I, I've held off on a case management system. I really like the multiple integrations with G Drive so far, and I didn't. I wasn't that impressed with Clio um, because I actually didn't have some things I wanted like the ability to auto um, assign emails to a particular client. You know, I'll probably circle back and look at some of that stuff later, but that's been unfortunately probably like on the lower end of my priority list. Right now I've been focusing mostly on getting work and building up um, some of my marketing stuff. Awesome. Well, this has been a great call. I think that we're really lucky to have you on the show. The, the, one, the one question I had left for you, Andrew, I know that you have big dreams as an African-American male lawyer. I, in, our, in our group, we have a, a surprising number of African-American female lawyers, but we don't have that many African-American male lawyers. What, what, what are you going to do with your practice to sort of tap into that status of yours? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I get a lot of cases in the civil rights arena because, you know, I'm really the only, well, I take that back. I mean, there's obviously Lee Merritt in Philadelphia who's, you know, doing fantastic things all over the country. But there's less than probably five, you know, black male lawyers who are probably actively marketing themselves. So I'm fortunate to, to get the cases, but I'm also more fortunate to do the intake because I think as a minority, sometimes I just see something different in the intake on some of these cases. And I think there's a big problem in the employment sphere and the civil rights sphere with African-American plaintiffs trying to get representation. Happens all the time. I see a lot of pro se plaintiffs in this arena. So I think just one more person to take a look, give it a second look, find a referral, you know, beat down the door of someone, say, listen, like this is a good one. It's not for me, but I think it should be for you. Um, I think that's, you know, that's the platform I'm trying to use right now. I, mean, I think that that's one sad, but I think it's kind of awesome that you're looking at it from that perspective. It's kind of like a superpower that you're able to see it from a different perspective. So I think that that's, yeah. that's really awesome. It's sad that it's got to be that way, but I think it's I think it's pretty awesome that you're able to to see it from that perspective. So uh, kudos to you. Uh, we do need to wrap things up, unfortunately. Um, before we do, I want to remind everyone, go to the Facebook group, the big group. 
get involved there. We have a lot of great activity every single day. If you want to join us in the guild, go to maxlawguild.com. Check out the details there. Uh, just a lot of high level information, a lot of high level um, just discussions on a daily basis uh, in that group. Um, and if you don't mind, while you're listening to the final few minutes of this podcast, give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate it. Jimmy, what's your hack of the week? Dan Kennedy has a book called The New Psycho-Cybernetics. It's, it's based off some teachings of this sort of woo-woo doctor, Dr. Maxwell Maltz from back in the 70s or the 80s. And I did the audio version, which is cool because Dan reads it and then he plays it in little clips of Dr. Maltz. And it's a little bit out there. Maybe, maybe it's way out there, but you know I like that stuff. And anyway, he has this concept that I used to think was really screwy. But just giving yourself, before you go to bed, give yourself a mental problem that you've been thinking about and see if your mind can work it out in the morning. And so, and then when you wake up, don't just jump out of bed, but sit there for a minute and see what you can grab. And so I have this big problem that I've been working on. The U S attorneys in Washington, DC have sort of decided to fight me differently on my mandamus lawsuits. And I've literally sat there as I've woken up for the last four or five days and I've gotten little pieces of things and I've been able to sort out the forest for the trees because I was sort of all caught up in, oh, those bastards are filing these motions. But then when I sat back and watched what was really going on, I was able to put it all together because my mind had rested and I was able to sort of see that picture. So I would encourage you to try it, to just try to get, and you can start with like little problems and, and it sounds really crazy, but it actually, it can work. I think that those waking minutes are so important. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Just being able to sit there and think about things. I have solved so many problems just by sitting there thinking about, and I, I wouldn't have thought about it during the day. Cause like, it's just, everything's high paced and stressful and that you're right. And that's that calmness. You're able to think things through. I think that that's perfect. All right, Andrew. So sure. we always ask our guests to give a tip or hack of the week. Do you have one for us? Yeah, sure. Um, I would just say put out some free legal information on social media. Uh, it's been really helpful for me. I've gotten Google reviews and clients from them. Might help you out too. Love it. Very good stuff. So my tip of the week is we do a lot of our training with clients. And so like one of the, for example, is a depot training. And we do that through basically Zapier, Filevine, um, Infusionsoft and Google Forms. And what we're, we're tinkering with is moving that over to like an online course platform. And so we, I've been testing out Mighty Networks and I really like it. It's got an app. It's kind of gamified. It's actually really good. So we're testing that out from what I can tell so far. I really like it. So check it out. It's cheaper than platforms like Kajabi and other ones. Um, so it's actually pretty good. Check it out. All right, Andrew, thank you so much right, for spending time with us. We really, really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. See you, Jimmy. Thanks, bud. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.